The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m., and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. Today, we conclude the message that we began yesterday about perseverance and preservation. Yesterday, we have begun looking at the topic of time versus eternal salvation in order to see that everywhere in the scripture that the word saved is mentioned, it doesn't always mean eternal salvation. We had started looking at the children of Israel at the Red Sea and seeing that they were delivered on that day. And they weren't delivered from sin, hell, and death. They were delivered from the Egyptians. That was a timely salvation. Today, we continue our look at that topic of time salvation as it relates to perseverance. And we see that while we should persevere, it's not guaranteed that we will persevere. And therefore, we ought to be diligent to try. But we'll also see the glorious truth that while we may not always persevere in faith and good works, We are preserved in Christ through grace. In fact, the words that were used by the charter members of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in our Articles of Faith is that we believe in the final perseverance of the saints through grace, which is the equivalent today of saying we believe in divine preservation. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. We
over in 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 20, he says, which sometimes, speaking of uh, the, the time of Noah, he said, we're disobedient. When once the, in verse 20, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. There's a salvation by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And he goes on to explain that. And by the way, we don't believe that, that baptism is necessary for regeneration. Regeneration is, 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 the, is wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. And baptism, following the Lord in New Testament baptism, is a duty that we ought, to, we ought to perform after we've been born again. But notice he says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. I could go into all this, but let me just say this. <laughs> you see two different salvations right there. Salvation by water. In the day of Noah. And by the way, it didn't say salvation from water. You notice that? Now, they were saved from water. They were saved from drowning. But, but the water saved them. They were saved by water. How did the water save them? We're told in Genesis chapter 6 that every imagination of the hearts of men was only evil continually. There was wickedness abounding. It was wickedness unparalleled in the history of humanity. And, and, and what did the water do? The water saved them from that by washing all that away. <laughs> Washed it all away. That's how they were saved, by water. Yes, the ark saved them from the water. But in that ark, by the water, they were saved from that wickedness. But notice here that baptism also doth now save us. We could go into that in depth, but I'll just say it this way. That's not an eternal salvation. That's a timely deliverance. By the way, isn't that what salvation is? Salvation is a deliverance. That's what it is. In fact, that's biblical. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts, the second chapter, about the 30, uh, 21st verse, uh, Peter's preaching over there to those, those uh, people on the day of Pentecost, and he's quoting Joel, the, third, the second chapter of Joel in the 32nd verse, and Peter says it this way. He said, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you turn back over in your King James Bible to Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, it reads this way. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Shall be delivered. You say, well, that's a conflict in the Bible. No, it's not. By the way, you know what happened? You, know, you say, well, sometimes in the, in the New Testament, they don't quote the Old Testament just exactly like it's written. You know what that means? That just means that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus or whoever's quoting it is just giving us a little more information. <laughs> You know, over there in the, uh, I believe it's in the uh, uh, 19th chapter of the book of Matthew, where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and Jesus quotes the Ten Commandments to him. He said, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not, and he says, Thou shalt do no murder. Okay? In the Old Testament, uh, Exodus chapter 20, it says, Thou shalt not kill. What, did Jesus get it wrong? No, he's just clarifying what it meant. <laughs> You know, that, some people get on to us and say, well, you, you're a preacher, you're a, you're, a, you're a Christian, yet you believe in the death penalty when the Bible says thou shalt not kill. There's different types of killing. There's manslaughter. There's self-defense. There's defense of others. And the, and the state executing one who has committed heinous crimes is, is not the kind of killing that's talked about in Exodus chapter 20. Jesus clarified it there. He said, thou shalt do no murder. But my point about that is this, is that Paul, Peter, rather, on the day of Pentecost, explains to us, he uses the term saved interchangeably with the word delivered. So salvation is a deliverance. And that's what we're talking about here. You don't have to turn there. If you're taking notes, you can write down Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. We read about Noah there. Noah, we're told, went into the ark to the saving of his house. 
Did he save them to take them on to eternal glory? No. <laughs> Was he talking about the regeneration? No. He's talking about a timely deliverance from the waters of that flood. In Matthew the 8th chapter, the, 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 the disciples are there uh, rowing and toiling and rowing, trying to cross the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is asleep in the hinder part of the ship. In about verse 25, uh, they come to him and say, Lord, save us. <laughs> or they say, Lord, regenerate us. Lord, take us home to be to heaven. If that's what they were talking about, they could have just jumped into the water and gone on to heaven. They'd have been fine. Peter, the same way, when he's walking on the water and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks at the waves and all, he starts sinking. He says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. He's not talking about regeneration or eternal salvation. He's talking about a timely deliverance. I, I hope we see from this that there are two types of salvation taught in the Scripture. And that means something very important. That means, you know, we're told in, uh, I forget the exact address, it's over in 2 Timothy, but he says that we're to rightly divide the word of truth. That means we're to put it in its proper context. We're to understand it like it's meant to be. And context is everything in that kind of situation. When you're reading the scripture, context is everything. And that means every time you see the word saved or salvation, you've got to ask yourself a question. Saved from what? If I came, I've, Brother Buddy's used this many times, but I'm going to steal it from him. <laughs> If I came running in the back door of the church and I ran up to you and I said, I just saved your child. You're going to want to know what from. What, you know, what'd you save? What'd you save him from? Was he about to get run over by a car? Was he, about, was he drowning and you got him out of the water? Did a dog attack him? And you, you know, you're going you're gonna to need to know what from. What did you save him from? And we need to know what the salvation is that's under consideration. I don't think there's any dispute about the fact that we, we understand there are places where salvation does talk about eternal deliverance. Matthew 1.21 is a perfect example of that. You know, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, the angel comes to, uh, to Joseph, who was thinking about putting away his wife, uh, putting her away privately because she had been found with child. He said, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, for she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. Most everybody in every Christian church in this, in this world today agrees with those two. But here's the one that we claim that we believe, uh, hopefully, I'm sure there's a few churches out there that believe it the way we do, but mostly primitive Baptists believe this. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's an eternal salvation. That's eternal deliverance. Notice he said, from their sins. There's a time over there in the, uh, in the 19th chapter, I believe it is, of, of uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. It says, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now I want to stop you right there and notice that this is talking about eternal life. He is asking the Lord, what is it that I have to do in order to be eternally saved? Now, here's the perfect opportunity for Jesus to lay it out for him. Say, okay, you've got to accept me. You've got to ask me into your heart. You've got to pray the sinner's prayer. You've got to hold on or let go or pray through or outrun the devil till you die. You know, all the, whatever thing. This is the perfect time, right? But notice what Jesus actually does. He said unto him, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. <laughs> he starts off with a little, a little hint here to the, to the young man. He said, first of all, if you're calling me good, you know there's only one good, and that's God, so you must think I'm God. 
And, and by the way, I believe he's sort of hinting to him there, where did this come from? <laughs> In other words, why are you struggling? Why, why do you care? Why, what's, what's your point? There's something, apparently this young man had, had lived a life, we're going to see, that was a pretty good life, and he'd accumulated much goods, but he wasn't satisfied. Reckon why he wasn't satisfied. That old natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. The, man, the one that's born only in nature doesn't have any inclination toward the things of the Spirit. Not, he's not interested in Christ or his kingdom or anything like that. In fact, Jesus told Nicodemus in order to see, in order to even understand there is such a kingdom, you've got to be born again the kingdom, to see the kingdom of God. New birth is the beginning of everything. So Jesus, I believe here, is giving him a little hint that something's already happened to you. Or you wouldn't be here calling me good, but be that as it may. Then notice what he does. He said, but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. You say, whoa, time out, preacher. Are you telling me that Jesus is telling him that the only way to get to heaven is to keep the Ten Commandments or all the commandments of God? No, I'll tell you what Jesus is doing. Jesus was the master teacher. He was the master teacher. Socrates was a great teacher, and we still call his method today the Socratic method. And Socrates' approach to teaching over there in ancient Greece was that instead of giving the answers, he would ask questions. Instead of laying it out and saying, okay, here it is, he said, well, let me ask you a question. Let me point out something to you here and then let them reason it out for themselves because the things we understand that we've reasoned out ourselves, we understand them a whole lot better. And what Jesus is doing here too, and he often does this, he's answering him according to his own way of thinking, according to the young man's way of thinking. And he says, okay, keep the commandments. Now, now I, I find it so amazing that the Lord is so, so wise in this because think about what's happening here. This young man is about to tell Jesus, I've kept the commandments, okay? He's about to tell him, go to Mark 10 sometime, you'll read that. He's about to tell him, I've kept the commandments. But Jesus knew he's still not satisfied. I want to say to you this morning, you can keep every commandment that the Lord has laid out for you to keep in an outward way. You can, you can not steal, not kill, not commit adultery. You can do all those things and you still won't be satisfied because you will find that you yourself are still struggling with the sin that you've been cursed with by Adam. And that's where this man was. He said, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments, he saith unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. See what we talked about earlier. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. And the young man said unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? I think it's back in the 10th chapter of Mark when Mark recounts this. He, he gives us a little more insight where Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. <laughs> This is what he said, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. See, Jesus knew what the young man's problem was. He knows what your problem is and my problem is, by the way. And Paul made this statement one time. He said, I was perfect when it came to the commandments. I kept them all until it got to that last one. That covetousness, <laughs> that covetousness killed me. It slew me because, see, you can keep the commandments outwardly. But the problem is not the outward keeping of the commandments, it's the heart. It's not what you do in your actions, it's how you do them and what, you're, what you have in your heart that's the problem. And that's, what Jesus, that's why Jesus told us you've got to be born again. Because that old heart is wicked 
Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, we're told that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That means all the good works that this young man did, every righteous work he did was just a filthy rag in the sight of God. If you're trying to lay those righteousnesses up on the altar of eternal redemption, it's nothing but filthy rags. It's not a sweet-smelling savor like the blood of Christ in the nostrils of the Lord. It's a wicked and a terrible smell. It's, a, it's old dirty rags in his sight you see and you won't ever be satisfied with them child of God you know there's a reason there's more reasons than just the fact that it's the truth that we need to believe in the doctrines of grace there's no other teaching that will satisfy us if we understand how sinful and sin cursed we are see if, if it's left up to me this I, I identify with this rich young ruler he'd accumulate he'd been working he'd been out there in the workplace he'd been trying to build up a little empire there and he'd been trying to do you know he all the stuff that he had was trying that's where he was seeking his solace but it didn't help him he came running to him <laughs> over in i think it's mark again the 10th chapter it says he ran to him he was struggling with this he said okay if that's the way you think just keep the commandments oh i've done that but I'm still not satisfied. He said, okay, go sell everything you got. And you know what it said he did when the young man heard that saying? He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. <laughs> and then Jesus made a startling statement there. He said, verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard it, they were astonished. So, whoa, time out. Who can be saved then? And remember now, he is here talking about eternal salvation. And they said, who then can be saved? And I want you to notice what verse 26 says. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible. What's impossible? Eternal salvation is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see... There's something that's impossible with men, and that is to be saved eternally. With men, this is impossible. So what about eternal salvation? Where can we find eternal salvation? Well, you can't find it in men. You can't find it in yourself. You can't work it up within you. But you know what you can do? You can trust that the Lord has taken care of that. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Right here in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing a letter to this young preacher. And he's telling him some things that are important. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 1 rather, in verse 9, speaking of God, Paul says, who hath, who hath saved us. Okay, remember, saved from what? Okay, let's, look, let's continue reading. And saved, uh, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He's speaking of a time of a salvation that occurred before the world began. I wasn't there then. I don't know about you, but I don't think you were either. <laughs> That's a salvation that's solely and wholly in the hands of the Lord. And he goes on to tell us some things here about, uh, about that salvation. He said, but it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I got to stop there and just say this. 
Another place that many people get mixed up, and it's because they don't understand the difference between eternal and time salvation taught in the Scripture, is on the purpose of the gospel. Many churches today will tell you the gospel is necessary to bring life and immortality to you. But I want you to notice what the purpose of the gospel is here. He says he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He didn't bring life and immortality through the gospel, but it's been brought to light. I can use this here, and I've used it before, because in this part of the country, most of us understand what it means to coon hunt. And when you go coon hunting, it's at night, and the dog will go out and tree a coon. And what happens next is, is that uh, the hunters will go down to the tree where the coon is treed, and with a big, powerful flashlight of some sort, they'll shine a light up into the tree and they'll illuminate the coon that's in the tree, okay? Now, the light didn't put the coon in the tree. It just illuminated what was already there. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel doesn't put life and immortality into you, but the gospel illuminates and explains what the Holy Spirit has already done. See, that's the gospel. So here, though, we have in verse 9... We're told that he hath saved us. That's eternal salvation. But I want you to flip back just a page or two to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Notice in verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now wait a minute, here's a salvation where you've got to save yourself. Over here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we read about a salvation where he's done it all. So what is this talking about? Well, we don't have time to go into it, but read the whole chapter sometime. Back in the first verse of chapter 4, he talks about people departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and all sorts of other sins. He's saying, if you'll take heed unto the doctrine, you who have already been saved eternally, who've already been born again by the sovereign power of God, if you'll take heed to the doctrine, you'll save yourself. <laughs> save yourself from what? From departing from the faith from seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and all these other things that he lists there, but not from, not from eternal hell because he's already delivered you from that. Okay, we'll bring this to a close. Let me just say this. Don't misunderstand. First of all, we ought to persevere. Remember what I said in Ephesians 2.10? He said we should walk in the good works. Romans 12 and verse 1, he said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You don't have to present your bodies a living sacrifice. You can choose not to. You can go away from here and ignore everything that the Scripture says and live a life that's unpleasing to God. But you ought not do that. He told us in Hebrews 2, 1, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we let them slip. Too many places in the scripture admonish us to persevere. We ought to persevere, but don't get caught in the ditch of pride. On the one hand of how great I am compared to how bad you are, which actually in my case, it would be right the opposite. The ditch I have to worry about is not the ditch of pride, it's a ditch of despair. Because I look around and see so many others doing so much better. And I think, man, how in the world could I be a child of God? Let me, let me leave you with this, with this, uh, this example. So you say, well, it must be that you have to persevere in faith and good works in order to be in heaven. I want to introduce you to a man named Lot. Turn back over to the 19th chapter of Genesis sometime. Read it for yourself. That's the place where God comes down and destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Poor old Lot, living there in that land, 
I don't see any evidence of spiritual fruit in Lot's life. Anywhere I read about him in the scriptures. And in fact, the last thing I read about Lot is the most profane sin that you can possibly commit. He was drunk, committing unspeakable sins in the cave there with his daughter in fear of everything. So I guess old Lot just didn't persevere, so he must not ever have been a child of God. You turn over to 2 Peter sometime, read verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2, about God there talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. It says he delivered just Lot. That doesn't mean only Lot. That word just there is the word for justified. He said he was a man who vexed his righteous soul daily with their unlawful deeds. He was a child of God. Lot's in heaven today. Lot didn't persevere in faith and good works. Oh, but he was preserved in grace. <laughs> he was preserved in Christ. Now, if you want to vex your righteous soul daily, just go out there and live, live like the world and quit trying to dwell in the kingdom and do right. But remember that no matter what, if you're born of the Spirit, you will be in heaven one day because no man can pluck them out of the hands of the Lord who has given them to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.